When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now August the 28th, 2023. If you are like me, you are still feeling gloomy about the Orioles after the news of Felix Bautista's injury. Of course, on Friday night, Bautista came out in the middle of a batter after already having gotten two outs after throwing a pitch Walked right off the mound, no warm-up tosses. The next day, Mike Elias revealed it is a UCL injury, that is ulnar collateral ligament, which is in the elbow, which is the ligament that when you get Tommy John surgery needs to be uh, repaired or rather replaced. Sometimes it is with a ligament from elsewhere in your own body where you don't need a ligament. Sometimes you get a ligament from a cadaver. And so Felix has some kind of injury to his UCL. And that's a bummer because, you know, probably means he's not going to pitch the rest of the year. And it probably means, well, I I don't want to say probably, but we all have to fear that it means he's going to need Tommy John surgery and then will not be a part of next year's season either. So that's a bummer. It is a bummer. And of course, the Orioles is a bummer, even though the Orioles are 81 and 49. They lost a dumb one to the Colorado Rockies on Sunday afternoon. It was a four to three loss that saw the Orioles score just one run while starting pitcher Ty Block for the Rockies uh, was in the game. He went seven innings. And then even after the Orioles rallied to tie that game up at three apiece with a Ryan O'Hearn two run home run against the Rockies bullpen. They then coughed up a run in the ninth inning thanks to Gunnar Henderson rushing his throw. Probably he should have not made the throw at all and just let the runner get to first base. And then O'Hearn, who was a fresh sub at first base after pinch hitting, did not come off the bag enough to secure the throw. It went out of play. Runner on second with nobody out. Later scored without Yenier Cano, who pitched the ninth inning, ever allowing a hit. So, you know, that was dumb. It was annoying. Uh, you know, on Ty Block particularly, uh, to anyone who is an Orioles sicko like me and remembers Ty Block's brief tenure here when he had an 11.32 ERA across five games started for the 2019 Orioles, that makes it even more annoying, you know, when somebody who was just completely worthless for that worthless team uh, comes back around and dominates the Orioles here now four years later. But Block actually has been okay for the Rockies so far this year when adjusting for park and league, because of course, anybody who has their home games at Coors has a tough time um, for a pitcher. And Block's results are actually pretty comparable to and slightly better than Tyler Wells, because Wells had a 111 ERA plus before going on uh, going down to the minors. That's 11% better than league average when adjusting for the park and league. And Ty Block, before uh, the Sunday game, had a 116 ERA plus. So actually 16% better than league average. So that's not a total bum based on his 2023 results, but it's still annoying. And again, it's worth keeping in mind 
while many players who washed out from the bad years of the Orioles were completely done, some have gone on to find careers elsewhere with other teams that are now quality in the 2020s. Uh, A pair of relievers come to mind, Evan Phillips and Sean Armstrong. Each of these guys was pretty darn worthless to the recent Orioles dark years, and they're now doing better. So I don't know, maybe it's not as terrible as it feels like to lose to tie block, but still it stinks. Uh, The Tampa Bay Rays came back against the Yankees on Sunday afternoon. So the Rays gained the game back on the Orioles that they lost on Friday night. The Orioles have the same two-game lead that they have over the Rays right before they started this past weekend. So, I mean, Rays fans are probably annoying that the Rays lost on Friday night. Orioles fans certainly are annoyed that the Orioles lost on Sunday afternoon. So, preserves the status quo, except for this. We are three games closer to the end of the season, so the Rays now have fewer chances to catch up in the AL East, although, of course, there will still be plenty, especially with the four-game set looming in mid-September. But anyway, the Orioles remain on pace to win 101 games, which is amazing. Unfortunately, it is now time to ponder life without Felix Bautista, at least for probably the next entire rest of the season, however long that is for the Orioles. And yet it's a rough picture. Uh, The Orioles, they did say it's a UCL injury, have not yet revealed the severity. One explanation for that could be that they know there's bad news and they're just hiding it from the public. But it's also possible that they don't really know. Sometimes you can't get a a readable MRI um, scan until there's inflammation that has to subside. And it's possible that's what's going on with Bautista. Um, Don't know. I'll tell you, I'm still fearing eventual Tommy John surgery will be needed. But at this point in the baseball season calendar, there's really no harm if it takes a month for that to be figured out. If Bautista does need surgery, then he's missing next year regardless and would hope to be ready for spring training 2025, which, of course, at this point is um, a year and a half away from now. Uh, Pitchers and catchers will have reported games will probably be getting underway, whatever. So, you know, if Bautista does end up needing the surgery, if he gets that surgery in November instead of tomorrow, there's probably no additional games missed between those two things. So, you know, that's kind of what I'll be thinking about until we get a final word on what's going on with Bautista. If there's not something definitive, I think, by, let's say, um, early November, uh, by the end of the World Series, let's say, or the day that World Series Game 7 would be played if there is one, which is November the 4th. If there's not a definitive word about Bautista by then, I'll start to get a little antsy. But for now, uh, we can wait and see what happens. And with Bautista out, you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, a recurring theme is I bring up the Pythagorean quote-unquote expected win-loss record based on runs scored, runs allowed. The Orioles are overachieving their Pythagorean expected win-loss record by seven wins so far this season. And I think Felix Bautista is absolutely a huge part of that. So trying to continue to do that without him is going to be a blow. So here is a a stat that I, I, I used to talk about in earlier episodes. I haven't for a while. It's called wins probability added. And it looks at every game and every event in every game. And each time something happens... It adds a certain percentage victory or takes away a certain percentage victory for one team or the other. So if you add all that up, 
you kind of get a decent measure of who is coming through in um, high leverage situations and who is playing poorly in high leverage situations. So take all pitchers who have pitched this year at least 40 innings. Felix Bautista has the best wins probability added of all pitchers in that category. Best in MLB at 4.22 wins added. So there's no other American League pitcher that's even within one of Bautista. Um, He was in second until very recently. Uh, Reds closer Alexis Diaz had a bad game and fell below him. And there's a couple of Brewers guys in the threes range. But otherwise, like the next closest is actually Yenier Cano, who entered Sunday's game with 2.97 WPA. Uh, which, by the way, was tied with former Oriole Tanner Scott, speaking of guys who were not very useful for bad Orioles teams and have rebounded a little bit. So Bautista, you know, he's been pitching in big leverage spots, and while he has not been flawless, he has done quite well. Similar to 2012, we find an Orioles team with a one-run game record that is great. After losing on Sunday, the Orioles are 24-12 and in one-run affairs this year. That is a 667 winning percentage. The 2012 Orioles memorably were 29-9 and in such games, a 763 winning percentage. That year's closer, Jim Johnson, had a 527 WPA. So I feel like if you gave Bautista another month, he might get about to that number. And if you were curious, or even if you weren't, in 2016, Zach Britton's perfect no-blown saves season, he had a 6.33 WPA that season. So, I mean, the, the tough thing about losing Bautista, and I think that we saw a problem, we saw this um, in Sunday's game, when you can bring in a reliever who strikes out 70, uh, excuse me, 46.4% of batters so far in the season, that is huge, uh, especially in an extra inning zombie runner situation, but also in a situation where you have a two-base error that puts the leadoff man on with nobody out. You would like to get a pitcher who can get a strikeout for either the first or the second out so that the runner is not able to get to third base with less than two outs and possibly score on something that's not a hit, which is absolutely what happened to Cano. He got the two ground outs. Ordinarily, you'd be very happy with two ground outs, but one advanced the runner to third. One was a high chopper. There was no play at the plate, scored the run, and so the Orioles, you know, they lost the game. So, I mean, what are the Orioles going to do, right? Its initial response from the team is it's going to be a game-by-game thing, perhaps playing matchups. But it is notable, I think, that the first post-Felix Bautista ninth-inning chance, when, mind you, he would not have pitched on Saturday night, whether or not he was injured, since he had already pitched Thursday and Friday. That went to Yannier Cano. And the Orioles also turned to Cano in the tie game uh, in the ninth inning on Sunday. So I feel like that's going to be the common sight for the next month, regardless of what the team says right now. And, I mean, in terms of 2023 results at the major league level to date, it's really the only choice. Yannier Cano, uh, a 1.60 ERA for the full season heading into Sunday. He did have a rough month of July with a 9.57 OPS allowed, a 4.50 ERA. But he seems to have settled back down in August. 384 OPS allowed, better than any of his months except for April, and a zero ERA so far in the month, which did not change um, from giving up the run on Sunday. That was unearned. So, you know, uh, if you want to try and look for good news, the Orioles do have a lot of options that aren't bad if you squint. 
Uh, I mean, you even got like CNL Perez, who I was ready to see designated for assignment in like June, has really rebounded in the second half. Danny Colomb, a 2.70 ERA across the full season. Relatively new arrival, Jacob Webb, two earned runs in his first 10 games with the team. Shinjiro Fujinami, ah, you know, he gets a lot of strikeouts. He is inconsistent, but does have potential. And speaking of guys who are inconsistent, but with potential, the return of D.L. Hall is interesting to me in that he's really the only guy who can potentially inhabit a Felix-like role of getting a lot of strikeouts and not even having batters put the ball in play if he's able to achieve his potential. He's got the velocity. He's got the movement to give him the big strikeout numbers. Him being a possible high leverage late inning reliever has really been part of his prospect profile for a while. Uh, I, you know, I don't really expect to see him be plan A or even plan B at this point without Bautista for the ninth inning. But I mean, if, if, if Hall can show enough to be like in a reliable eighth inning guy mix next year, or maybe even the ninth for 2024, assuming no Felix Bautista either in 2024, as I currently am, maybe that'll turn out to be a pessimistic assumption. Yeah. I mean, that would be a pretty good win. So Hall, we'll see. Uh, and you know, all these guys, we'll see. Uh, it's it's going to hurt without Bautista, but there's no choice but for Orioles to see who can try and step up. And, of course, the Bautista injury does offer a possible cause for some second-guessing, again, of the trade deadline activity that the Orioles did not get themselves a uh, a some kind of reliever they believe would be reliable in the few days before the trade deadline. We don't know who was available that didn't get traded. We don't know what it might have cost the Orioles to trade Guys who did get traded, who you might have wanted, but, you know, with Bautista out and no one uh, immediately able to step into his shoes with, you know, experience before this year of, like, high leverage innings, uh, it, it, it's it's tough for me, and hopefully, I guess, it will not be tough for the Orioles, but, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so dipping into the mailbag today, we've got a message from listener Dan, who noted that in an earlier episode around the trade deadline, I remarked that the front office seemed to not have confidence in either Kyle Stowers or Joey Ortiz. And Dan asked, why do you think that is? And he added for himself, Ryan McKenna has been on my blacklist since the drop ball in Boston. He's been yawn worthy other than the one walk off. Stowers debuted last year, Ortiz this year, both to a decent amount of local fanfare before being sent back down. While they are probably no Gunnar Henderson or Adley Rutschman, both seem to be given short grace periods as opposed to other young players to adjust to the majors. He adds, I also never heard Stowers' name mentioned as a potential trade piece. What's the deal? Dan, thank you for writing in. And, you know, as far as Kyle Stowers, I think his prospect stock is heavily because as a prospect in 2021, he hit 27 home runs across 124 games in three different levels. That was pretty darn exciting when there was nothing much going on with the big league club in 2021. Um, As far as how the Orioles view him, you know, I think we got our earliest sign of what they think of him, that he only got his chance to get called up when he was a replacement due to Anthony Santander not being able to enter Canada due to not being vaccinated. And that was a four-game series, and they only played Stowers in two of the games that series. Then 
back to the minors for two months. I mean, it was bad luck for Stowers in that by the time it really was his turn, quote unquote, to get promoted, the Orioles had moved on to a place where, uh, you know, wins mattered and they couldn't just keep giving guys chances in the ways they might have done um, in 2021 or whatever. And Stowers, unfortunately, in his big league action today, he has showed that the high strikeout totals that were always thought to be a risk for him, uh, you know, that's a real thing because in his 131 big league plate appearances to date, he has struck out in 31.3% of those plate appearances. That's bad. Anything above 25%, that's where you start getting pretty bad. And, you know, for the Norfolk Tides this year, Stowers is batting just 236. Now, Batting average is not the only measure that matters. And in fact, Kyle Stowers does have a lot of walks. He's walked 36 times in 20, uh, 240 plate appearances, in fact, which is a walk uh, 15% of the time. Not bad. But it is also worth keeping in mind, walks are up at the AAA level this year. That is believed to be due to the implementation of the automated strike zone there. There was a recent article in The Athletic by Jason Stark about that topic. And those that strike zone, it's not operating at MLB. It doesn't sound like that's going to be operating at MLB next year either because people are just not convinced that every pitch being called automatically is, in fact, better for the game. So... I think for guys, and you could you can say this in reverse for pitchers who are walking too many in the minor, Triple uh, A, but also for batters who are walking a lot, they're having conditions that if they got called up, maybe would not be the case. And, you know, I think that maybe is one part of why it's a tough adjustment this year. I don't know. But also Stowers, this year, heading into Sunday, an 839 OPS. That is pretty well below the prospects who've gotten called up Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, and Colton Kowser, uh, also pretty well below one, the one guy who's still a hope for a call-up, Heston Kerstad. So, you know, Stowers is just not forcing his way up with those results. And again, he missed about two months of this season. I really thought we might see him if, like, Austin Hayes or Anthony Santander got hurt for an extended period of time, but neither one did, and now... You know, Stowers has really been passed kind of by Kowser and also Kerstad, I think. Um, why doesn't he have trade value of any kind? I don't know. I do feel like Stowers is maybe the kind of guy that some rebuilding team would target if they're trading some kind of reliever who's decent but not, like, overwhelming. Um, you know, so they're not giving up much and they're getting a little something but not much either. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why nobody came calling about him. Um or Joey Ortiz, for that matter, although he is performing much better in AAA this year than Stowers. I mean, a spot just has not opened for Ortiz in the infield as long as all of Jorge Mateo, Ramon Urias, and Adam Frazier are healthy and doing enough to stay on the roster, which, although Mateo has definitely scuffled at the plate, he has done enough to show why he's hanging around, I think. Urias has certainly done as well. He's had very little power this year, but Still hitting decently, considering that Adam Frazier has had his moments as well. And so, you know, what you've got is Joey Ortiz. He's drawn zero walks in his 33 big league plate appearances, only had a 212 average and only one extra base hit. So, I mean, the, the prospect world still believes in Joey Ortiz's potential. The recent MLB Pipeline Top 100 update had Ortiz at the number 54 spot. Now, his stock being that high is contingent on his being able to get to some big league power. And he has shown pretty solid power with the Norfolk Tides this year. 
5.17 slugging percentage heading into Sunday's games. That certainly did not materialize yet at the big league level. And again, we think, I got to think, like, is Joey Ortiz trade bait? Because if Jackson Holiday is the shortstop of the future, you want to get some value for Joey Ortiz before he totally loses his luster. So I don't know. I feel like this coming off season, the Orioles really got to find a better starting pitcher than Mike Elias has thus far acquired and hope that somebody wants Joey Ortiz as like the headliner of maybe a three-player trade for whoever that guy may be. I don't know who it would be. I think um, possibly it might have been like Dylan Cease, except he's really kind of had poor results this year. I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I just hope Elias stops getting guys in the Jack Flaherty, Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin tier and, you know, gets a real difference maker that the Orioles rotation needs. And I, I really hope Ortiz uh, can be dangled for such a player. Speaking of Dylan Cease, the Orioles are playing his team next, the Chicago White Sox, for three games. And I think Monday is an especially crucial game because it is one of the quote-unquote catch-up games where the Orioles will be playing while the Rays are off. So it is a free chance to gain ground. All the Orioles have to do is win today. They gain a half game on the Rays, period. Just do it, right? But as ever, there are no guaranteed wins, even against a bad team that has fired its GM and team president within the last week. Good thing for me, it seems like the Monday pitching matchup should favor the Orioles. That is Grayson Rodriguez against Michael Kopech. Kopech has a 4.95 ERA and crucially a 6.52 FIP this year. So he's already been bad and he probably should have been worse. But that is contingent on Rodriguez continuing to pitch well as he's done in the second half. Of course, his season totals overall are not so great either. It's also contingent on, you know, the Orioles offense not carrying over the funk that it showed against a bad set of Rockies starting pitchers over the weekend. As for the other two games in the series over the next few days, on Tuesday, the starting pitching matchup is Jesse Schultens versus Dean Kramer. And on Wednesday, it's going to be uh, Wednesday afternoon, the aforementioned Dylan Cease versus Kyle Gibson. And, you know, both of those two, they're kind of a push based on the 2023 results of the starting pitchers. Schultens and Kramer, pretty close to one another in ERA. Cease and Gibson as well. Uh, I mean, Cease was talked about as a possible ace heading into this season, but he's got a 4.81 ERA this year. So, you know, that's no good. No good. And so, I mean, the White Sox offense, the Orioles would hopefully have an advantage facing those guys because that team... Last place in the American League in on-base percentage, they have just a 686 team OPS for the year. It's bad. They're bad. The Orioles need to just win. Just win, baby, because the Rays, well, they're going to start playing the Miami Marlins um, on Tuesday, and the Marlins lately are faltering. They are only 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. So much as the Orioles could not really count on uh, either the Rockies or the Yankees to do anything against the Rays. And indeed, the Rockies did nothing, and the Yankees only managed to win one game. I don't think the Orioles ought to count on the Marlins to help their cause any either. So Orioles really, I hope, can win two out of three against the White Sox, and then they will have the same number of wins as they got in the entirety of last season at the end of the month of August, if they can win two of three against the Chicago White Sox, which they certainly should. And if they're going to find a way to hold off the Rays without Felix Bautista, they're going to need to 
show that they can do it. Get started showing they can do it by at least winning their last series here in August. So, you know, can they do it? That's what we're going to find out. That's all that I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or a review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. However, this Wednesday, there will not be an episode. I am going to Tuesday's game, and I don't care to come back and record a podcast after that. So Wednesday, taking the day off. I will see you again on Friday. It will be September the 1st on Friday. That will mark exactly one month until the end of the regular season because the last game to be played this year the last regular season game to be played, I should say, is taking place on October the 1st. So Friday morning, that's what the stakes will be. And in between now and then, you can leave a comment on Camden Chat. You will find me there in the comments under the name Eat More SK. Although if you look for articles, I do post those under my real name, Mark Brown. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time. Go O's.